I remember, and I've shared this before, but I remember in seminary, uh, my professor, Dr. Toussaint, said, if you're looking for a church, see if they sing. And that, my friend, is a joyful church. Stay there. And um, you guys are beautiful singers. And if your wife hasn't told you that this week, let me be the first to tell you. <laughs> Husbands, man, you guys can belt it. Nice job. Nice job. And hey, just a word of comfort before we dive in. If your heart, just what we sang, is not burning, um, uh, that's okay too. That's okay too. There's a great book out that says, uh, What do I do when I don't desire God? <laughs> And um, Luke 24 uh, talks about when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he was speaking to two people and uh, he, he opened up the scriptures and showed them himself from the law and the prophets. And as a result of them, of them being in the Bible, they saw Christ. Their eyes were opened. And it says in Luke 24, look it up, their hearts burned. And so every week, we come and we, we're up and down and we're all over the place, but then we come to the Scriptures. We, we sing to God and then we say, we need to hear from God. And sometimes my heart doesn't feel like it burns. And, um, and we can trust Him that He works through His Word. He, he speaks when we open it up. It's like heavens open up and He tells us about Himself here. And my job, my aim is to step back and to allow God to speak through the Word. So hey, if you don't burn, right? If you don't feel passionate, or if your emotions for God aren't at an all-time high right now, you are in good company. <laughs> because um, that, that is the normative Christian experience, the ups and downs of life. And so let's, let's come together, and let's look at the Scriptures. Amen? If you're new here with us, Welcome to the gathering. Um, open your Bibles to Second Chronicles. We've been in that weird book that is to the left. You probably don't have many wrinkle marks or underline markings in it, but we have been enjoying this book. Yes, we've been we've been using this word revival because in this book we've seen uh, God work and we've seen the people of God respond. And their hearts' dispositions have been in, in, in just certain places. They've been humbled. They've been prodded to seek Him. They've been encouraged to, to pray. And um, we're going to see this morning a beautiful story happen as a result of um, God bringing His people back. Last week we talked about Hezekiah. We learned a Hebrew word. Does anyone remember it? Starts with S-H, rhymes with move. Man, you guys are sharp. A bunch of Hebrew scholars. I love it. Shuv, return, back. The most common word used from the prophets. And um, today, um, if you're young or if you're old, I pray that this message would really land in your heart. Can we just see a show of hands if you're eight years old among us? We have a couple eight-year-olds. Kind of. We've got a kind of eight years old. Uh-huh. Any other eight-year-olds? All right. I won't ask if you're like over 70 to raise your hand, 
But we have multiple generations represented here. So whether you're 8 or 88, watch what happens today, okay? Because an 8-year-old took the throne in this chapter and started to seek God and amazing things happened. You ready, 8-year-olds? Here we go. Chapter 34. If you're taking notes with us this morning, um, and if you, if you want a clipboard uh, to help you along, there's, uh, they are there in the back. The title of the sermon is A Heart for Revival. A Heart for Revival. And the main idea, the big idea, the timeless truth, the main argument of the text is this. That God uses His Word and witnesses to cause and sustain revival. It's the message of the passage this morning. God uses His Word and His witnesses to cause and sustain revival. And we got two major points to just hang our hats on this morning. We're going, number one, God uses His Word and witnesses to cause revival. So the main word would be the cause, okay? And then point number two, God uses His Word and witnesses to sustain revival. So let's get after it together. Let's go to our first point. God uses His Word and witnesses to cause revival. Let me just set this passage in context before we start reading, okay? Last week we saw Hezekiah, but we didn't capture the very end of his life. He, he did call a people of God to return, and they saw great revival. They came and they worshipped and honored the Lord. But later in Hezekiah's life, he made two poor decisions that were really costly. Um, he paid off the Assyrian army rather than trusting the Lord. So he used some money in inappropriate ways, and then he foolishly showed off his great wealth and military secrets to the Babylonians. He's like, come on in and let's just like show them everything, right? And so uh, 2 Kings 20 um, was this, this like hard promise that God said, I'll read it, don't worry about going there. Um, but it said that God told him that his sons will be carried off to Babylon and everything in your house will be taken away. The short of it, hey Hezekiah, you blew it and you're going to lose everything. So Hezekiah didn't end well. He didn't finish strong. And so uh, when Josiah uh, gets the throne, the country's in a mess. It's like all murky water is just muddy and it's just it's just a mess. Alright, so watch Josiah take the throne at eight years old. Verse one with me. Would you join? Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign and reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Verse 3. And in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, and the carved and metal images. And just, just skim the first part of the verses with me now. Verses 4 and following. Watch the verbs that, that uh, the chronicler chooses. 
And they chopped down the altars of the Baals in His presence. They cut down the altars of the Baals, the the incense altars that stood above them. Look at this. He broke in pieces the ashram and the carved and the metal images, and they made dust of them and scattered them over the graves of those who had sacrificed them. Let your eyes go to verse 5. Watch this. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. This is getting intense, right? Okay, look at verse 7. He broke down the altars and beat the ashram and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Egypt. And then he returned. I mean, isn't this crazy? All right, so this, this young king is serious about evil. I mean, he just takes the throne and starts attacking, is vigilant to destroy sin. I mean, look at He's grinding the images into powder. Like, this dude is serious about evil. And we see right away, we just begin to continue to glean the themes that if we are seeking God, that we're serious about sin. It's not just this some casual thought, but, but the people who seek God get after it. They kill it. Uh, last week, we kind of joked around when I told you about our, our new couch that we got, right? And we were bringing in the new couch, and it was like not in the right order. Do you remember that? It was like, oh, we should have taken the old couch out first. And so we were like working with one couch here and trying to get the other one out, and it was like, that was a mess, right? We should have taken the old out first and then put the new one in. And same thing in the Christian life. Like, we got to clear out the old. We can't just stack good things on top of the old and, and, and like hope that they just take care of themselves. we got to repent of the sin in our life and get them out. And so Josiah, when he takes the throne, he, he deals with evil, Okay? And then, Josiah, our man, he starts rebuilding the temple, okay? Uh, Go to verse 14 with me. Guess what happened when they started rummaging through these big old stones and started the project of rebuilding the temple? It says, while they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Okay, so at this point, uh, Josiah and the leaders, they find the scrolls. They find the ancient Hebrew text. Like for a long time, they were without a compass, like without a map, without a guide, and they were lost. Okay, just short little break, uh, just so you guys continue to get to know your pastor and his wife, okay? This is us just trying to model us being real, okay? Um, there's a few things that cause tension in our marriage, okay? Um, let me just share two of them. One, garlic, okay? Garlic just creates a little bit of tension in our life. And when I say our life, really, like, my wife loves garlic, okay? I remember when, I don't know, there's a couple of hands. I remember, like, Saying, hey, sweetheart, where are you going when you used to live in Texas? And she's, oh, I'm going out to lunch with my mom. Oh, that's great. Watch yourself. Mm-hmm. And she would come back, and I'd be like, how'd you do? 
and it would be like seething through her pores, <laughs> right? And I'd be like, you did it, didn't you? You, you, and I, I wasn't like that, you know, but tension, right? Garlic. You want to hear another like hard thing for us to like manage and like think through and navigate through? We do not like getting lost. It's so hard. It's so hard. Like in moving here, it was tough. Like my wife's phone didn't, her GPS didn't work. And there was just a lot of times when it was, when she was lost. Like think of the last time you were lost and like kind of get that feeling like roused up inside of you. Do you like it? Isn't it so sweet and nice? You just don't know where you're going. No, it's like the minute you start to know that you're lost, it's just this, your, your stomach starts turning, you just hate it. We hate getting lost. Can you imagine the people of God not having the Bible? I mean, that, they were experiencing the same feelings, the same ones that we felt when we were on like 22 and 3. Why don't you just call it 22? Or why don't you just call it 3? Why 22 and 3? Like, where are we going, right? This is how they felt. But they found it. And, and, and they started to read it. Uh, read verse 19 with me. Look at this. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. So Josiah was was so gripped with what what God had said, God's heart for his people, that they would know. He he ripped his clothes. This this, this ancient act of humbling yourself before the Lord and repenting before the Lord. Like, we are in the wrong and I, I know it now. I'm no longer in ignorance. I, I know what I need to do. I need to change. And so it's this humbling act. And so in verse 21, Josiah acts upon this, this great word of God. I'll read it. It says, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and those, for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the book that has been found. For great is the wrath. Wow, look at that word. Great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So like, circle that word, inquire. Uh, we're going we're gonna to come back to that one uh, next week. It's a, a big word that captures what it means to seek the Lord. Um, but we're going we're gonna to keep on going and we're going to reserve it for David. Okay? But this brother, this Josiah guy, our king here, he was pierced to the heart because the people of God weren't keeping the word. You see that? Like the Lord right here uses his word to pierce the hearts of the people. And the witness, Josiah, calls the people back to widespread obedience. You see that? Two components of this particular revival. The Word was present in God. He could do it alone, but He chooses to use His witnesses. And so Josiah and the leaders call the people back through God's Word and watch what happens. Verse 31 and 32, the people come back. They shuv. 
they repent and commit to following him again. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Verse 32, And then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. So there it is. That was, that was the story where God like, pursued His people and He used His people and the revelation that He gave His people, the Word of God, to call them back, to call them out of sin and into fellowship back with Him again. We've been studying revival. We've said, you know, you can't really schedule it. You can't just like put it on a calendar and make it happen. We talked about John 3, how how God works, and he says it's kind of like the wind. It blows where it pleases. You can't like just grab onto it, but you know it's there. You know it's moving. You can't manipulate God, but there are certain components that are always consistent throughout the scriptures and throughout church history that make people, that cause people to respond back to God. And right here we see two consistent ones, his witnesses and his word. In the late, uh, in the early, forgive me, uh, 1400s, there was another great movement of God. Uh, it was a dark time where, um, where, where congregations bought into this lie. The church bought into this lie that only the clergy should read the Bible and could interpret it rightly. I.e., the Bible is reserved for for like professionals, and the congregation shouldn't have access to read or understand it. And there was like a couple, a couple people just rose up during that time. That's not right. God wrote, wrote like he wanted to be known. He wrote the scriptures so that people could know what he's like. And so like these projects began happening where they, where they translated Greek into the Latin Vulgate, it was called. Vulgate, not to mean like vulgar as we use it, but Vulgate to mean the common language. And uh, after a while, people weren't really like reading Latin anymore. And so this guy, you might recognize his name, named John Wycliffe, said, people must be able to read the Bible in their own language. And so John toiled to translate the Bible into his own tongue. And he'd spend hours translating word by word, verse by verse, so that revival could happen, so that people could be revived in their hearts, so they could know him, so they could burn within to, to, to like have fellowship, to walk with God. Because he knew that it had to be consistent. If God was going to work in the lives of his people, he wanted the word translated. A lot of people know John Wycliffe uh, because of the, the Wycliffe Bible translators. A lot of people don't know the name Sir John Oldcastle, who is his good buddy. Uh, this, this guy, John Oldcastle, was really wealthy and he loved the Lord. And he was a friend of John's. 
And he used his wealth for the glory of God. He like loved the Lord, loved the Scriptures, and said, I, uh, John, how can I help you? And John was like, why don't you start hosting in your big old home and use your wealth so that people can know Jesus now and throughout time. And so he started like hosting pastors and missionaries and he fed them and he hosted them. And as a result, like the Bible sped up. We've been praying for global missions every month. We've been praying that the, that the message would be sped. Like that it would move rapidly. And this, God used this guy, Old Castle, to have the translation work speed up. Because he believed that if people were going to know God, they had to know him through his word. Because faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word. And so he like gave it all. And he trained his children in such a way. It was like, oh, we're not going to like use wealth for our glory. We're going we're gonna to waste it for his. Because Jesus said, if you waste your life, you'll find it. But if you try to protect your life and everything, then you'll lose it. It's backwards from what the world thinks. This is the way the kingdom of God is structured. And he gave his life for this work. Uh, during that time, he was falsely accused. He was arrested. They locked him up. They bound him. And our, our brother in Christ, Sir John Oldcastle, was, was hooked up to horses and, and dragged through the streets till his death. That was some grit. Why did he do it? So that you and I could know God through the scriptures. He gave his life for it. And this is how God revives the heart. This is how he causes a burning. He uses his word and his witnesses. Before we go on to point two, um, let me just encourage you to, to bring that which many, many men gave their lives for. Uh, bring your Bible to church. <laughs> like Treasure it. Read it. Love it. We'll get there in a second, but I just need to say that. Uh, number two, God uses his word and his witnesses to sustain revival. The operative word sustain. It's a different than point one. So God causes a revival. The question would be then, well, how does, how does he keep it going? And uh, like, maybe you're like me and you kind of want the rest of the story and you're getting excited and you're like, all right. Like, so the people of God in this day, like Josiah found the word and he called the people to repent and like, what's going to happen now? Like, let's find out how to sustain it. And actually, it's kind of a downer. Because Josiah, just like Hezekiah, didn't finish well either. It's like, oh, man. So the rest of the story is kind of like a what not to do. And it's really tempting for me to like just leave this off. Like, oh, I just kind of want to have warm fuzzies and things like that at church. But like the Holy Spirit put this here for us to learn from and, and to uh, navigate our lives around it. And so here's Here's a few things that we learn from it. Let's, let's see the, the text. Let's see what happens. Go to verse 22. In short, uh, Josiah is faced with a challenge of uh, getting into a fight. He decides, yeah, I'm going to get into this fight. 
He gets some counsel. Hey, don't do this fight. This isn't your fight. And watch what the Word of God says in verse 22. Nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to fight with him. And look at this. He did not listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to fight in the plain of Megiddo. And here's how it finishes out. And the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am badly wounded. Verse 24. So his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in the second chariot and brought him to Jerusalem, and he died and was buried in the tombs of his father. All right. <laughs> there we go. There's Josiah, okay? So this king, he sought the Lord early in his life. And then just this series of bad decisions, like these moments of recklessness. And his life was ruined and he died. It was almost like his attitude was this. Um, when I'm young, oh, I'm going to seek the Lord. Everything I got for him. And then later on in his life, ah, I'm good. I think I'll be fine. Like, I did that when I was young, and um, I think I kind of know it, and I'll, I'll, things will just take care of itself. Um, personally, I've never met a person that has said, oh, I'm okay with not finishing strong, right? I mean, everyone I, I know, uh, Christian or non-Christian, says, I want my life to count and I want to live a good life all my years. It's not like, oh, half of it I'll live good, and then half of it I'll just like waste. No. Believers have a zeal to finish strong. Hezekiah didn't. Josiah didn't. We could end with this like downer tone of like, hey church, here's like seven things not to do, <laughs> Okay? Um, but let's learn from the life of Josiah, okay? Uh, let's learn how to keep our hearts revived, how to uh, keep fresh, how to stay a faithful witness to God to sustain the work of God through his word and through his witnesses, okay? So let's, let's learn. I'm going to give you three to close out our time, okay? Um, I'm going to give them to you right up front, and then we'll talk about each of them. Here's number one. Things to learn. One, trust the Lord in His Word. Trust the Word. Okay? Number two, disciple the next generation. And number three, allow the Word to sustain you. All right, so let's just talk about one. Number one, trust the Word. Okay? So here we see that Josiah didn't trust the word in his life and in his ministry. He was hungry for it when he was young. I mean, you saw how he responded. They found the scrolls and he was cut to the quick. I mean, he's like, oh, I needed to hear this. Everyone, is, let's drop everything and let's all get under God's word. Let's hear it. But when it came to him later in his life, from the mouth of of God, he was like, eh.
He rejected the counsel of the Lord. And he basically, at the end of his life, said, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm not going to trounce I'm not going to trust the words of God. I'm smarter than that. So obviously the question that we've we got to ask ourselves is, do you trust the word? And here's just me just bringing it to the surface and, and allowing ourselves to just turn it on its access a little bit. And it would be this. Do you believe that the Word of God helps or hurts the ministry? Does the Bible help further the gospel or does it hurt it? Oh, this is a massive question for all churches, for all people of God, but especially for us as we're a young church year and a half into it, we've got to ask these piercing, like, defining questions of who we are. We could have the coolest, like, logos, websites, whatever, but if we don't trust God's Word, we should just close it up right now. And friends, I know it's a little scary, but we have got to trust it. It will revive hearts. It'll do it. So number one, trust the word. Number two, we said disciple the next generation, but we're going to drive in in specificity. Use the word to disciple the next generation. I think we can learn from Josiah's life that he didn't use the scrolls. He didn't use the word and have the vision to pass it along to the next generation, okay? Like, at this point in time, it was like, whoa, moment of crisis. Whoa, moment of, let's deal with this. Let's deal with this. Ah! Okay? And he didn't disciple. Uh, Two times in chapter 34, it talks about the life and ministry of Josiah as something that, that engaged all who were present. So, whoa, we found the scrolls. Let's read it to all who are present. Oh, oh, let's quick tell everyone all who are present twice. And it's almost, it's almost the chronicler is going, look at his strategy of ministry. He's only got a vision and eyes for the people in front of them, which is so easy to do, isn't it? It's like, oh, but these are the people that are, I see and are talking to me. But in order to sustain the work of God, you use the word of God as a witness and you take it, you pass the torch to the next generation. You, like, you allow your time and heart and affections and prayers to be concerned with those who are coming next. We've seen time and time again that these kings like, led strong in various aspects of life but weren't concerned about being a daddy. And their sons after them punted seeking the Lord. So how do you how do you like finish strong? How do you like occupy your time in life? 
you pour it out to other people with God's word so that they would carry the torch. Amen? Oh, we could like go on for a whole long time and I just won't, but it's just really exciting that the word of God says it. Even in the Old Testament, it's not just Jesus's idea like that he just, oh, I just came up with, right? Uh, we're going to hear from a few weeks from Deuteronomy 6 and it is like built in there, the plan of God. It's going to be awesome. Keep coming back. Number three, be sustained by the word. Let me just check, check it. So I said, allow the word to sustain you. That's just another way to say it. So be sustained by the word, okay? And so I think we can learn also from Josiah's life that he wasn't like immersed in the scrolls. Like he wasn't sustained by the word. So we're going to jump to the New Testament uh, to get kind of a positive, uh, formative example of how to be sustained by God's Word, okay? So if you've got a Bible, turn way to the right, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is an awesome verse. Watch what the Apostle Paul does. Watch how he is so sustained by the Bible. Are you ready? It says this. This is a famous verse. Many people know it, have it memorized. If you don't, this, this would be a great one to hide in your heart this week. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, so we're shifting gears a little bit here. Look at this verse with me. It says, all Scripture is, right? It's breathed out. It's inspired. The very breath of God. Uh, why I'm going here is because just earlier in, jo in uh, Josiah's life, he heard from the what? He heard from the mouth of God, and what did he do? Uh-uh, I ain't listening to that. And here we have it, that like one of the... When, like Paul, the apostle saying, hey, it's not, just, it's not just the book of the law, the first five books. It's actually the whole thing. The whole council of scripture, we might say, or the whole canon, the whole rod of scripture. It all is God-breathed. It's all from his mouth. And all of it, even the boring parts, right? <laughs> all of it, God wants you to hear, learn, and study it, and it's useful, it's profitable for those four things, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Look at the tense, okay? It doesn't say all scripture, it was past tense, oh, that was good for them, and like maybe for the early church, but we've got it figured out now. We've got smartphones, we've got like, we're better than that, we don't need to, no. Look at that, it says all scripture, present continuous it's a truth it is breathed out let's just go one step deeper look at that training in righteousness you see that phrase okay circle it draw a line out to your margin and ask the question when is the next time that paul uses the word righteousness okay go to uh, chapter four 
chapter 4, verse 8. Watch how he links this idea. Towards the end of his life, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. This is interesting. He links the God-breathed word that trains him in righteousness to the very end of his life and beyond when he goes and sees the Lord, he says that he'll get a crown of righteousness. All right, so we're learning here. We're learning that the Bible both trains the believer in 316 for righteousness. It helps you grow in Christ, right? It trains you. But also we're learning in chapter 4 that it endures you. Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active. So it's not just a book, but it is like the very breath of God that, that saves you, that helps you grow in Christ, and it endures you all the way to, it helps you persevere in your life. Okay, come on, church. Is this Paul the church planter? Where he's like, this is the best strategy for church planting. It'll like win souls and everyone will like, your church will just boom, grow. Is that how it is? Did he, did he believe this? Like was this, did it, this affect his everyday personal life? Or was this just some sort of ministry philosophy that was outside there that just kind of worked? Did he have just some cool words and this was just like his pastoral message, his shtick? Watch one more link. Watch verse 13. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. He says, hey Timothy, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. That's... that's Hey, I'm cold. Will you bring me a jacket? Also bring the books and watch this. And above all, the parchments. Which is a technical term for bring me my Hebrew scrolls. I'm dying. I'm cold. Yeah, yeah, if you remember, bring the jacket. Bring me the scriptures. I don't just need them like to get saved. I don't need them just to like do my vocation of church planting. I need them for my whole life until I die. They endure me. Uh, brothers and sisters, this is not just some message to remind you to have a quiet time in the morning. This is a strong message from the scriptures that says this, you need your daily bread. It works. It's profitable. It is your very life and breath and it will endure you all the way to the end. It works. It, it sets you on the course. It keeps you on the course. 
It pushes you along the course. It is everything. Read it. Give your life to it. Memorize it. Like Use it in your relationships. Let it dwell richly among you. Speak of it in your homes. Like Put it on the mirror in your bathroom. Like Depend on it. Cling to it. So whether you're eight years old or you're 88 and on your deathbed, reach for it. Knowing that this Word will sustain you. Because this is how God works. This is how He revives the heart and causes great movements of God. He does it through the witnesses of God using the Word of God. Let's pray. And so we humbly ask God, would you use us? We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have called us a son and daughter of God, that, that we, would, we would be called to witness of this word. Give us great courage. Give us great strength. Lord, forgive us when we don't trust it. Lord, help us to handle it rightly with grace and truth. Help us to be patient with all as we present you, as you have revealed yourself. Lord, help us to not be embarrassed by it. Help us not to trim our sails of the gospel of Jesus. Lord, help us not to shrink back and withhold truth of it, of all your attributes, of all your character, of your holiness, of your justice, of your great desire for for people to come to faith, of your mercy. Lord, help us present the whole counsel. And we know, Lord, that when it does happen, that you are known. Lord, help us to pass it along to the next generation. Lord, this week, that moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas, that they would be faithful to present the scriptures, to use God's word that some might know you. And Lord, not just a ministry strategy, but help us to hold fast to you with the scriptures. That we would cling to them. And when we're driving, walking, going about our way, that your very words would be on our lips and deeply planted in our hearts. I I pray that they would reign on our homes, that they'd be written on the door frames. We need you in this great task, and we're excited to take part. So we're going to sing a song that is a great prayer not just for us, but for the generations to come. It it captures all the ideas of of repenting of sin and asking the Lord to clean our hands and and the Lord purify our hearts. We're going to sing that that would not just end in and of ourselves, but that we would be a generation that would seek God 
and that we would be a generation that would disciple others so that the generations to come would follow. This is such a worthy prayer and a worthy task to give your life for. During the song, after church, whatever, stay back. Let's pray together. Let's, let's talk through. Let's, let's, let's join together. Let's walk together in this great task. Would you stand with us?